Welcome to the Interesting Football Podcast. This week, it's the turn of Manchester United as I, Laurie Knox, and former Birmingham Hall Green constituent Simon Day decide whether they are the most interesting team in the Premier League. Simon, how are you and what are your first thoughts when you hear the name Manchester United? I'm very good, thank you. Um, Manchester United is a funny one for me because I, I've never been to Old Trafford. And weirdly, not notwithstanding sort of these teams like Harrogate and Sutton that have just joined the league, Manu are the only team that Gillingham have never played. Um, the, the only one of the 92 that we've never played in a league or a cup fixture. That's pretty amazing. Liverpool, they played Liverpool then. We played, we played Liverpool in a cup game like in the 70s or something. And everyone else has cropped up. Of it. In my lifetime, in my sort of supporting time, we played Arsenal, Chelsea, Spurs, obviously Man City. Um, but yeah, Manu have just never cropped up. Damn. So, so my thoughts on Manu are, I, I can't stand them, to be honest, but, <laughs> but I've got no sort of personal connection with them. I mean, for so, me, Manchester United, I think it was, uh, I know they're so big, you know, like other teams, you, you know, you hear the name I know, Aston Villa and it reminds you of that time you went to Villa Park or what have you. Whereas Manchester United, they're just everywhere, right? And I think, you know, I definitely went through a period in the early 90s when they were so good and they just seemed unbeatable, didn't they? Uh, and I got, I went into that phase of absolutely hating them, as I think a lot of Manchester United fans do. I hear that's pretty similar to Dallas Cowboys, right? I can hear as being America's team, but they've probably got yeah. the biggest support, but at the same time, more people seem to hate them than anyone else. Yeah, I mean, I'm a bit biased because I support a team in the same division as Dallas. So I, I don't like them for slightly more legitimate reasons. But generally, yeah, they are one of the most hated teams just because they've got the biggest stadium. They've got the most sort of... They seem to have a lot of casual fans, the Dallas Cowboys. Really? Uh, like, oh, why, why did you support Dallas Cowboys? Oh, was it because they won the Super Bowl? Maybe? Yeah, OK. Even <laughs> though they've actually been pretty shit for a number of years. Mm. Um, it's a fantastic stadium as well, to be oh, fair. Oh, it's incredible. American stadiums, especially, you know, NFL stadiums are good, or stadia, um, but if you see the college stadia that they have out there, some of them are just ridiculous. You know, you see them with, like, the hot tubs and the swimming pool on, yeah. on one end of the state. Oh, just fantastic stuff. One, one thing they do at Dallas's stadium that I think is really clever, actually, is, right, I think a football stadium, where is the worst view? It's, uh, I mean, it's very, uh, very low down. Right. Near the pitch is like a crap, like pitch level is a crap view, isn't it? Yes. Especially, especially something like American football. Um, so instead of pretty much every other ground in the world that put their exec boxes at the top of the stadium above the halfway line, the exec boxes at Dallas's stadium surround the pitch. Oh, wow. So basically all these sort of corporate people who aren't necessarily big American football fans or Dallas Cowboy fans, they've got... In reality, the worst seats in the house, but probably from their point of view, it's oh, right by the pit. That's brilliant. <laughs> See the players really close, but actually, the proper fans are getting the better view. Hmm. So actually, I think that's I think that's the way to do it. And one thing I've noticed actually with the Americans that I know, again, maybe it's just a you know not, not not a large sample size, but whenever they go to big sporting events, one of the first things they do is tell you about where their tickets were and like how good the tickets were. Whereas in the, I don't think I've ever heard a British football fan mention tickets, like as in like, uh, oh yeah, I went to Tottenham, oh, we got the tickets, they were right on the goal line. Like, I don't think anybody's ever described to me 
Whereas a lot of American, uh, North American, I should say, because I was in Vancouver for a bit when I first noticed this. So, um, yeah, seems to really, uh, I know, where the tickets are in the stadium seems to be like a big Yeah, tour. you are correct. I, I, weirdly, I, I met a, a chap from Philadelphia in, um, oh, it's a massive casino in the middle of London, the, the Hippodrome. Uh, the Hippodrome you, by Leicester Square. That they have like an amazing when the NFL weekends they have an amazing like big screen theater experience. It's incredible what they do there. Um, and I was there and I met just contacts on social media, some bloke who was over from Philadelphia for the game. And honestly, the first I said like um and it was a big game, it was a playoff game. And yeah, genuinely, one of the first things he said to me when I asked him sort of, Are you a season ticket holder there? He went, Yeah, block two one six, seat number. <laughs> <laughs> like we're, we're just above the 30 yard line three quarters of the way to the back it's like yeah it is legitimately like important whereas if someone said like where's your Gillingham season ticket and have one I'd say yeah I've got one oh, right. that's all people are interested in isn't it yeah true true right but um, okay well interesting talk about Manchester United there um, <laughs> let's go on yeah. to I, I'm quite excited about this I, you know what I think bizarre fan you've got an absolute beauty here uh, I think we've got a pretty good quiz as well. Um, but let's hear your first fact. Well, I'll send you a little teaser. I, I never tell you what the facts are, but I'll send you little teasers. So I feel like one of the teasers this week, I feel like I've got to go in straight away with it. And it is, Eric Cantona wore a prosthetic penis for a role in 2013 film, You and the Night. Okay. You and the Night. Um, it, it was, according to Eric, it wasn't porn. It was done elegantly. Um, now, you might want to be the judge of whether it was elegant or not. When I tell you the film was... He played a character called The Stud in this film um, who goes to an orgy and gets whipped whilst crawling around in his underwear in a cage. Wow. So, the, I mean, what do, do we, we obviously get to see this prosthetic penis or is it just... Well, I couldn't find it. What I could find online was... <laughs> um, <laughs> what I could find online was Cantona wearing some very um, very poor quality white underpants that, that were hiding a, a very sort of enhanced appendage. Interesting. <laughs> now, what's funny, I wanted to have a Cantona fact in here. Um, and I actually, I happen to think that's probably the most interesting Eric Cantona fact I've come up with. Yeah, kicking a fan or wearing prosthetic penis. I mean, <laughs> both of those are, to be fair, they're both absolute crackers. Um, well, I think if I was in a film and, and it was required to, for me to wear a prosthetic penis, I'd sort of be, when they brought it out, I'd put it up and be like, nah, can, have you got something a bit bigger? Is it like, can we sort of, can we enhance this even more? <laughs> Uh, are they, I mean, we need to. What, why did he wear a prosthetic one? Well, what was wrong with his real one? <laughs> I don't know if anything's wrong with it. Although, talk, talking of which, you, you, you've brought up before, popping it on the podcast, about the, um, the appendage of another Manchester United former player. Um, Have I? Dion Dublin. Oh, yes, yes. I mean, Bloody marvellous, I believe. Alex Ferguson, doesn't he describe it in his autobiography as bloody marvellous? Just... <laughs> For some reason, in my head was the word tremendous, but maybe it is marvellous. Possibly. Possibly. Maybe it is marvellous. Um, sure. But anyway... Every... It was a bloody before, whatever... whatever <laughs> I can think... I mean, I don't... I can't imagine you'll get this. I can think of another footballer who's been in 
a film in a sexual scene um, that I've actually seen this clip. And yeah. it's Stan Collymore. Really? Stan Collymore is in Basic Instinct 2. <laughs> at the start, at the, yeah, at the start of the film, he plays a soccer player who's having sex with Sharon Stone in the back of a car, and Sharon Stone then kills him. How have I never heard about this? Well, it's outrageous. Uh, yeah, I haven't watched the film. David Morris is in it, weirdly. He's like a really good actor. But, um, yeah. So, so much to talk about here. I'm going to, um, I'm going to go back to the Dion Dublin thing because that reminded me, it was apparently, start, that, that one started off with a conversation with John Gregory where he went, did he go from Man U to Villa or Villa to Man, Man U to Villa, I think, right? And, or, anyway. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Villa, and then John, I think, Ferguson's autobiography says something like, you know, I speaking of John Gregory, he's like, so Dion Dublin, did you did you see it? Or there was some kind of like, and that, that, that's when they started having a, ch- a chat about it. Uh, that also reminds me of a uh, fantastic John Gregory story, which I, I may have pulled out in the Aston Villa podcast, the one about him being a big Bruce Springsteen fan. Yes. Yes. Did I mention that in the podcast? Yeah, I think he might have cropped up around the same time as we're talking about Huey Lewis and the News, probably. Okay, okay, well, I'll, I'll leave that one. I'll leave that one. Well, uh, yeah, because I'd like to think people then think, oh, I better go and listen to, to <laughs> whatever episode it's on. Gregory. Yeah. Andrew Springsteen. Right. So uh, but, but back to Eric Cantona's penis. Yes. Um, I, I, <laughs> it seems he did sort of, because he quit football at a very young age, didn't he, to go into acting. Right. And, and he has been in various films. Um, but. They, I think it's primarily in the, on the French scene. I don't think he's broken through at any point. Uh, but I did see the trailer for this You and the Night film, and it is ridiculously art house. It's one of that you watch the trailer and you've got absolutely no idea what's going on and what the film's about. Um, it, it's just so far up its own ass. Um, and you know what? You mentioned about uh, Stan Collymore, going back to that one. Um, in Basic Instinct, talk about footballers in films, and hilarious. You say that he was having sex with Sharon Stone in a car. Yes, which of course is what one of the many things Stan Collymore is famous for: getting caught dogging by the police, wasn't he? Oh yes, he was, wasn't he? So yeah, not far, not far from where I live at Cannock Chase. Yeah. In fact, someone I know uh, spoke to him about that, and he kind of <laughs> laughed about it. It's like, yeah, it wasn't the brightest thing in the world. I went there in my car. With a personalised registration plate, Collie One. Speak to me, Dad. It could have been Paul Collingwood, the England cricketer. Who knows? Um, <laughs> wasn't there dogging? You, you're from Sheppey. I'm sure there was a Sheppey dogging spot that was in the news. Um, I've n- not heard about Sheppey, but Kent's meant to be pretty big for it. Um, I, I know Phil Mitchell, uh, Steve McFadden, who plays Phil Mitchell in EastEnders. He got caught dogging in Kent. Did he? I did not yeah. think that kind of. I, I mean, I think. I think dogging is a UK thing. So I think for any kind of, you know, I know we have American listeners like Paul Leddy. Hello, Paul. Um, I think you should explain what dogging is to them, Simon. Um, it's where people go and meet in car parks um, or sort of just um, parks, basically, in their cars um, and have sex with whoever happens to be there. And there's some kind of code, isn't there, of sort of, 
and everyone's on your car what, or with your windows yeah. are open um yeah that suggests what kind of acts you're into and what you're looking for right okay well glad we cleared that one up um <laughs> manchester united right okay yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> In terms of percentage, we, you know, we have we always have a bit of a giggle. And that, okay, we go off topic. It's not, it's not, it's not that kind of, it's not that kind of podcast. But I, th- I think this might be the we might have had the lowest percentage of football club to conversation right now. Um, yeah, oh, if, somebody, if somebody, if a Man U fan stumbled upon this, oh, this interesting about Man U facts about Man U. I want to learn more about my club. You'd be pretty disappointed, wouldn't you? Well, I'm going to swing that round for now. Probably like I don't know the most the most Manchester United of Manchester United quizzes that you can have. Um, right, we have now for your one minute quiz. We yeah. have 21 potential answers. I want you to name the 21 top all time appearance uh, players with the most appearances for Manchester United. Okay, um, I'm going to set you a par of. I'm going to set a par of 10. Uh, how are we doing? How are we doing the quiz? Are you one down? I'm one down, yeah. One down. Okay. So you've got a minute's name, basically, the top 21 player, players in terms of appearances for Manchester United. I, I think there were two players I haven't heard of, two who are kind of like, Meh. and yeah, you, you, you'll definitely, you'll easily know, um, you'll, you'll know most of them. Anyway, Simon Day, your one minute starts now. Ryan Giggs. Giggs, of course, yes. Bobby Charlton. You got one and two. Right. Dennis Law. No. George Best. Yes, surprisingly. Uh Gary Neville. Yes, number five. Roy Kane. Yes. Paul Scarls. Yes, you're six. You've got four more to get 38 seven seconds. Nicky Bart. No. David Beckham. No. Gary Pallister. Oh, number 21. Oh, Steve Bruce. No. Uh, oh, Pitch Michael. No. Ah, uh, Mark Hughes. Yes. Two more, 15 seconds. Does that Steve Bruce? Yes, but no. Oh, right, okay. Um, uh, oh, Rio Ferdinand, probably not. Yes. Oh, he is? Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Rio Ferdinand is. Five seconds. Name. Vidic or uh, I'm oh. Patrice Devra. Um, oh, agonizing. Like some obvious ones there. Let me one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Yes. Yeah, so you got the top five apart from uh, Bill Folks. Uh, number six was Rooney. Uh, oh, Alex Stepney, um, Dennis Irwin, Brian oh. McLeod, Brian Robson. Oh, you know what? Robson and Irwin, I wrote down and didn't say. Oh, wow, wow. Um, also, one which surprised me um, was Michael Carrick. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, I'll buy that. Yeah. Okay. In 16th place, one above Brian Robson. But there we go. There we go. Okay, right. <sighs> Final day. Two down now. We're going to have to... Yeah, so who, who, who have we got after Manchester United? Newcastle United. Okay, okay. I'll see what I can do for them. I'll see what I can do for them. Um, okay, Simon Day, fact number two. Fact number two is we've just mentioned him. George Best scored the first ever penalty shootout kick in Great Britain. Oh, I need to hear more. Dennis Law was the first person to miss a penalty shootout kick. <laughs> nice. Oh, uh, this was. Three, is it? Sorry. 
That's not fact two and three, is it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll see you next week. Um, it was... Um, it was something I've been trying to crowbar into the podcast ever since we started. We talked about it in um, initial chats we had about doing this. It was in the 1970 Watney Cup semi-final between Manchester United and Hull City. Um, and this was the tournament where they decided to introduce penalty shootouts. Um, and Hull City took Man U to penalties. George Best stepped up and scored. And the rest is history. So why were Man U playing Hull City in a cup final? Oh, well, this is a semi-final. Um, right. Yeah, Man U lost to Derby in the final, for what it's worth. Um, because the Watney Cup was a tournament involving eight teams uh, that ran from 1970 to 1974. And each year it would be contested by the two, li- the two teams that have scored the most goals in each division the previous season. Okay. So it was an eight-team talk. So the two top scorers from Division 1, 2, 3 and 4. An eight-team knockout tournament. Um, and it was like pro- proper legit silverware. Uh, it can currently be found. The, the current holders of the Watling Cup in 1973 um, are Stoke City. So if, oh. if the Watling Cup ever comes back, Stoke City have got to defend their title. Assuming they're not, uh, you know, Stoke City, that's something they'll have forever and ever. This is a... Uh... Well, it is, it is in their trophy cabinet. <laughs> Love it. I mean, I, I'm in favour of it coming back. So everyone bangs on about, like, oh, there's too much football being played at the minute. Well, I think there's room for another tournament, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, clearly... So how did it do for attendances and stuff? Was it, was it a big thing at the time? Pretty good. There was like um, Man U, the, the following season after this, Man U played Halifax um, and knocked, got knocked out by Halifax in front of wow. over 20,000 people. Um, and the, the finals, there was regularly in like the 20s and 30s, the crowds. But yeah. it dwindled. It dwindled the last couple of years. Uh, maybe the novelty wore off. Um, but I, I think, bring it back. <laughs> Right, I'll work I like. out. In time I should have worked out who would be in this season's competition. Um, <laughs> but I, well, I, I think it was at the very out. start of the season. It was kind of a pre-season jobby, but right. So the penalty shootout thing—that's long been controver- controversial, and you know something that there've been lots of talk. You know, a lot of talk about what we need to do instead. You know, when, when teams draw, and but for uh, well, for the last what fifty years now. Penalty shootouts are undoubtedly winning. We've had things like the MLS style, where they try to do the, the dribble in from 30 yards. The ice hockey style, yes. yeah. Uh, how about you, Simon? What do you think? Uh, we get cup games, it's 90 minutes, it's 1-1. What happens next in, in your ideal world? I, see, I, don't think, I don't think penalty is a brilliant way of deciding a game, but no one has ever suggested to me or anyone that I've read an alternative that isn't completely stupid. Mm. Like, here will turn to, like, who's got the most corners or the least amount of yellow cards. Right. Or just... Or, or back back in the day when you used to just have endless replays, didn't you? Yes. yes. Even at World Cup... Even, like, the early days of World Cups, they'd have replays. And you're I like, didn't know that. I didn't know yeah, that. That's ridiculous, isn't it? Um, can you imagine... I don't know what idea. I think Jimmy Greaves came up with... Or Jimmy Greaves, I remember mentioning it. Uh, was that you, you know, when you get to 90 minutes, you then like take one player away from both teams every five minutes until 
So you just go into an everlasting extra time until you have to embarrassing if neither goalkeeper scores. But wouldn't teams just get ridiculously? I mean, it happens at the moment in extra time. They'd get even more defensive, wouldn't they? Most teams, if you said to them, right, you've got to take a player off. I reckon 95% of teams, possibly more, will take off an attacking player. Yeah, yeah, possibly. <laughs> You'd end up with like four back, four defenders versus four defenders. Okay, so um, how does football change then if we suddenly wake up tomorrow and FIFA has ordered all games and now eight aside? <laughs> On the same size pitch? Yeah, same size. Everything's the same. It's just you're eight players now. It'd be really boring. Why? Because well, there'd be a lot less space. Sorry, there'd be a lot more space. So there'd be a lot more long balls. Um, players have to cover more ground so they get knackered more. I just think, and there wouldn't be like, play, goals would be a bit rubbish because you'd have players in like acres of space scoring quite easy <laughs> goals. Ah, it'd be rubbish. Fair enough, fair enough. Just thought I'd throw that out there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm not in favour of eight-a-side football. By, by no means a suggestion, but, you know, I, I like my hypotheticals. Nah. Have you ever been to a penalty shootout? I was at the England-Spain Euro 96 penalty shootout. Okay. That's England ever win, I believe, in a penalty shootout. It was. It was. Um, they subsequently won a couple more, but yeah, it was England's first ever win. Um, Maybe this season saved a couple, didn't they? Or did Spain just miss? Um, I can't remember, to be honest. I know, I know that was a game where England were really lucky to go through. Um, yeah, Spain had a couple of good goals disallowed, if I remember. Um, yeah. yeah, sort of being a style. crowd for 80,000 men just shouting out Seaman, Seaman, which is something I never thought would happen. No. Well, maybe you need to watch that Eric Cantona. <laughs> um, the, the, weirdly, the only penalty shootout I've been to was the aforementioned last week Man City Gillingham playoff final. Oh, is that right? Damn. It's the only penalty shootout I've ever witnessed. Um, memories. Oh, yeah, terrible. Um, oh, I was thinking when games go to penalty shootouts on TV, like in the, in the FA Cup or whatever, my immediate thought when I'm watching it is like, as sort of a regular away supporter, my thought is, how did they get home? How did they get their train home when it's like <laughs> top past 10 or something because the game's gone to penalties? You know, yeah. You can't get a train back from like Middleborough to. Peterborough at that time of night. I mean, what are they going to do? Good point. Good point. I, I, I think if I was at the game, I'd be too worried about that to like give a shit about the penalty shootout. But I'd still stay for it, even though it was like it meant I've got to spend the night in the travel lodge or something. And uh, on the subject of penalty shootouts, it reminds me of one thing that I think summed up why Kevin Keegan was such a bad uh, tactician. You know, great motivator, obviously, Kevin Keegan. That only gets you so far. Um, I remember the classic comment before, I think it was the 98 World Cup when Keegan was commentating, Hoddle was the manager, and Keegan, he, lots of people did, used to say this back in the 90s, you can't practice penalties, which is just one of the most <laughs> idiotic um, memes, uh, footballing memes of all time. And, you know, the, the theory being that, well, you can't replicate the, the, the drama, the, the tension of an actual penalty shootout, so there's no point practising them, which is just, I mean, it, yeah. you can basically put that for literally any kind of sport. No point practising your serve this week. Uh, um, it's not, the same. not the same, is it? If you're not in front of a packed crowd, what's the point? Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, Kevin Keegan wonders why he always falters at the uh, at the last um, when it came to. Yeah, I know. It's but but that was the predominant thinking. I'd even go as far as saying in England in the nineties, right? I think a lot of people, a lot of people thought that way. Well, yeah, and uh, yeah, England being crap at them would just well, it's just bad luck. There's no point in practicing. It's just the way it's gone, isn't it? It's like <laughs> Germany, yes. Germany are better at them because they're more efficient. That was pretty much <laughs> that's pretty much the thinking in England, wasn't it? Around that time. It was. Um, yeah, it definitely was. It definitely was. Right. Uh, uh, can I just say, our first two facts we've mentioned, for arguably two of the most sort of colourful characters in English football ever, in George Best and Eric Cantona, and we haven't talked about them at all, have we? We've talked about eight-a-side football, um, dogging, <laughs> like yes. instinct two. And, um, <laughs> I'll bring it back to George Best, but keep with, with the uh, with the salubrious tone of um, this podcast, which is yeah, George Best. His probably done the single. Here's a question for you: What's the worst thing you can do that is legal? Because I think George, both George Best and Ryan Giggs are in with the shout list. For, so Ryan Giggs, for those of you who are not based in the UK. Um, one of the best players, uh, well, one of the best players in English football over the last 20 or 30 years. His brother was kind of like a non-league part-time player. And it turned out that Ryan Giggs had been sleeping with his brother's wife for about seven or eight years. Um, again, perfectly legal, but surely the you know up there with the worst things you can possibly do is legal. Well, George Best, I do remember, you know, towards the end when he was with she, she was really nice, really intelligent. Alex, um, I can't remember, Alex Potsy, I think she was, but no, obviously Alex Best. And when he went on one of his, you know, he'd go off on his benders for a couple of weeks where he wouldn't go home and he'd just, just drink. And yeah, George Best, he, um, I remember he went to the Daily Star and did a, a cot, or, you know, some real uh, scummy reporter got hold of Best when he was drunk. And George Best did this thing where he rated... Uh, all the women he'd been having affairs with behind his wife's back in bed out of 10. And he also gave his wife the rating zero. Um, <laughs> again, gigs and best. Those two incidents for me are probably the two worst things I've ever heard that are legal. Can, can, can you beat that? Not you personally. Can you, can you think of something that's... Uh... Well, I, I think, well, the other person in that... Um... List sort of this is on the wrong side of the law. Obviously, we can't really talk about Cantona without talking about his kung fu kick. Um, which I think did that fall foul of the law? I don't think um, it did, did it? I think he got a footballing ban. No, uh, no, originally, no, he, yeah, he did get sentenced for it, didn't he? Um, yeah. originally, it was going to be something like two weeks in prison and then they commuted it to, um, um. They commuted it to uh, community service or whatever it was. Get to pick up litter. Mm. You know? <laughs> um, for, for a point, for a bonus point, what was the name of the person who he kicked? Uh, oh, Matthew. Matthew, that's, that's it. <laughs> Matthew, yeah. Matthew, no, Matthew Harding was the Chelsea guy, wasn't he? He's the Chelsea guy, yeah, when he died in a yes. helicopter crash. Yeah, it's not um, him. Also, it just suddenly, just suddenly hit me. I said uh, the salubrious nature of this podcast. I clearly meant salacious, not salubrious. Sorry, yeah, that just suddenly hit me. Um, yeah, definitely not salubrious. No. Uh, uh, <laughs> his name was Matthew. 
Matthew Simons. Oh, I would never have got that. I would never have got Simmons. that. Um, but yeah, who, who famously said, it's an early bath for you, Mr. Cantona. Yeah, that, that was a classic one. Yeah, so for those of you who don't know this, Eric Cantona in 95, he got a red card at Crystal Palace. He was walking off the pitch and he suddenly ran into the crowd and kung fu kicked uh, um, an opposing supporter. Um, it always referred to. You can't mention that calling it a kung fu kick, can you? It no, has you to be. It has to be a kung fu kick. <laughs> that's it. I've never thought about that. Yeah, I mean, he kicked a fan, but it was always described as a kung fu kick. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> And yeah, that fan's claim was that he shouted out, off, 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 go on, Canton, I'll take an early shower, which is probably the, um, yeah. Well, you've slightly misquoted there, because what he actually called him was Mr. Canton, oh, <laughs> really? <Yeah>. ah. <laughs> which probably added to the unlikelihood of it actually happening, but yeah. <laughs> Off you go, well, Mr. Cantona. Well, Mr. I think, you know, Manchester United, I don't know where they stand in the most interesting uh, team. I think this has definitely been one of, the, one of my more favoured podcasts. I think it's been a good one so far. I don't know if we can give Manchester United the credit for that or we, we're both just on fire. But uh, it's Friday. It's the end of the working week. We're, we're feeling good. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to ask you squash. Uh, that's how I'm feeling. Um, with the bizarre fan. Go for it. Kim Jong Un. <laughs> we, we've, we've, I, I said Osama bin Laden. No one's been really close to Osama bin Laden. We've only gone and done it. We've only gone and done it. So now, I've got a bit, bit of a disclaimer here. So this is because of um, oh, who's the the Italian ambassador? Who I think he, uh, I think he was uh, friends with Donald Trump as well. I think he might have been in there. Um, trying to get the two together. Um, Ratsy, Ratsy, I think his name was. Um, and yeah, but anyway, he's been on record saying that Kim Jong-un, it's a bit of a disclaimer, primarily was an Inter Milan fan because when he's at boarding school in Switzerland, he'd often go, get the train, or probably not the train, he'd often uh, get over to, uh, to Milan and uh, go to the San Siro to watch Inter play. But he did also confirm that his favourite Premier League team is... Um, <laughs> Manchester United and he does watch all the games he gets them screened although the Premier League doesn't have a screening deal with North Korea so it is illegal I'm sure he'll be devastated here Kim Jong did he used to play for them sorry did he used to play for them who sorry Kim Jong Jung did he used to play for Manchester I I suspect he might have some like propaganda out there oh right right right. yeah yeah, yeah. I I used to play for Manchester and some kind of real bad photoshop of him and my new kids <laughs> celebrating a goal. <laughs> but, uh... my, my favourite fact about him was, you know, all, all these stories like that, they're just clearly nonsense. That he once, um, his lowest ever round of golf was 18. <laughs> decent effort, decent effort. <laughs> yeah, he went, he went around in 18, some golf course. <laughs> Um, was, that, was that him or was that the dad? I, I, I get actually Kim oh. Jong was pretty good, but the uh, sorry, pretty good, pretty <laughs> Kim Jong is pretty good. What a bizarre statement! Uh, Kim Jong for me, I've, I've got him individually. The, the two older Kims though, they seem to blur into one, like like Dana White and Joe Rogan for me, who for about five years I thought were the same person. Uh, it really, really confused. Oh, they do look the same, don't they? Yes, and they're and... both like horrible people yeah even now even now i still get a little bit confused by there being two of them um but but anyway <laughs> that 
I've kind of got that with the older Kims as well. I forget which one's which, the name, who, but anyway, Kim Jong-un, yeah, he's pretty, he's a pretty memorable kind of guy. Lost a load of weight as well, actually. I need to, I need to uh, get some tips off him. <laughs> yeah, he's a... Been recently, you, sharp. Have you been to North Korea? I have, yeah. I spent two days, um, yeah, back in, what, 2007, you used to be able to go across the border as in a land crossing, um, oh, what's the place? Kungansan Mountain. You're allowed to go around there. Really interesting, you know, just like some crazy things like, um, and to be honest, some of the crazy things are just like getting the bus from town to town and, you know, seeing like, you know, a, a completely empty field and then there'd be something far, far away in the distance on its own. You think, oh, is that a small tree? And then it like scratches its head and it's just like, no, there's just a soldier patrolling the middle of a field, just standing there all on his own. You know, you go past villages where, Clearly, they were taking names of everyone who went in and out of the village. They all had to stop and like, yeah, just some wild things. But then um, about two or three months after I was there, um, some old elderly South Korean lady decided to go for a walk at night time at the same resort and got shot dead by the soldiers. So uh, they, they stopped doing the tours. So yeah, there we yeah. go. That, that, that put you off a bit, I reckon. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But there we go. <laughs> so there, but Kim Jong Un. So uh, I'm not. I don't think he's ever been to Old Trafford. He's not like a. <laughs> I love that. Not hardcore like uh, Bin Laden, but I, I feel like you know we've got a couple. You know, there've been a couple of uh, story. You know, we've got some unnamed sources saying this as well. But um, but Ratsy, the uh, the Italian, I think he's a senator ambassador or something like that. He he had who he's a good friend of Kim Jong Un. And he's and he's backed that up. Yes, he is. I'll accept that. And it's possibly. I don't think it's as good as Bin Laden because, like you said, Bin Laden had his um, season ticket, didn't he? Um, right. But I do love the fact that our celebrity fans have included Bin Laden, Kim Jong Un, and John Ketley. <laughs> yes, Robbie from EastEnders. I mean, <laughs> in a real. Yeah. <laughs> fantastic effort but uh, but also I feel like this has kind of purged me of my obsession with Osama Bin Laden because every time we mentioned yeah. um, every time we mentioned bizarre fans I'd always have to think but we're not even going to get close we're not going to get close to Bin Laden but this although yeah I agree I think Bin Laden wins it's close enough that I feel like okay I'm finished now we can, I can move on with my life Wait, wait until we get to like Southampton and we discover that Adolf Hitler used to go and watch him. <laughs> <laughs> I've got, I've got an equally as good one for West Ham. Not equally as good. Well, d- different ends of the ideological spectrum. We'll leave it there. Uh, okay, Simon Day, can you give us fact three, please? Yes, I might try and talk a little bit about Manchester United around this one. Um, Manchester United have broken the British transfer record fee on six occasions. Um, which is more by two more than any other club. Oh well, wow. Arsenal. Weirdly, oh. Arsenal and Sunderland have broken it four times, oh. and Man, you've broken it six. Uh, would you want to have a stab at any of those players? Well, one of them was going to be David Hurst, four million back in ninety two, ninety three, but that was turned down. Um, uh, 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 Rio Ferdinand is one. Yes. Rooney? No. Um, go on, go on, put me out on misery. Brian, Brian Robson one? Yes, Brian Robson one. Uh, Dennis Law was the first one. And then we had Andy Cole, uh, Paul Pogba, and the one you probably wouldn't have got was Veron. No, no, we 
Yes. Okay. Um. So the the history of the British record transfer fee. I discovered the first the first time it was broken or probably created was in 1893 when West Brom sold. Um, Willie Groves to Aston Villa for a hundred pounds. Nice. I, I like to think at that time all like the fans were like, "Oh, the game's gone, isn't it? How can you, <laughs> how can you pay hundred quid for Groves? Um, <laughs> what? I what? I ain't going anymore. That's it for me. Uh, he's, yeah. not, he's not as good as Seagull Bastard or whatever. That <laughs> Nice, nice. I like the like the meta. It always used to be a proper um, like as a schoolboy, it was like standard schoolboy knowledge. You no, know, like the record transfer fee, wasn't it? It was sort of a yeah. I wonder if that's still the same now. Is it? I well, feel yeah. like the numbers just confuse me now. They've just got so big. It's like when people talk to you, like how many light years the nearest galaxies are, and just like it just means <laughs> yeah. nothing to me. Like that, that's kind of how I feel. Like oh, uh, Leeds United have bought this player for like this this many tens of millions. Yeah, I, I just don't care. I mean, well, and also half tr- half the transfers I see seem to be undisclosed transfer right. fees, don't they? Or there'd be like clauses in them depending on appearances and whatever. And um, yeah. obviously, the, obviously, the record at the moment is Grealish with a hundred million. Oh yeah! Wow. Yeah, I was, I'm quite happy that Wednesday got taken over by somebody rich because for a long, long time, up until about five years ago, our record signing uh, was looked quite paltry, 4.5 million for Paolo Di Canio, uh, which was actually probably one of the greatest transfers of all time because I think we actually paid 2, 2 million and gave them Reggie Blinker, who we told them was worth 2.5 million. Uh, so it went down as 4.5, which is an absolute steal. Uh, Reggie Blinku came along to Wednesday, scored a great goal in his debut, and everyone was like, yeah, this guy's going to be like the new Pele. It turned out he, he was absolutely appalling. Um, he, he even in Dutch, Scotland. He's a Dutch winger, wasn't he? Dutch winger with dreadlocks, yeah. Even even Celtic, even up in Scotland, Celtic fans were like appalling, appalling player. I'm sorry, Reggie, if you're listening. Um, but, yeah. Uh, the one... <laughs> The, the big ones I can remember from like being a kid was when Shearer went to Blackburn. That was like big uproar about sort of Blackburn are buying the league, aren't they? It's scandalous. That they're sort that, of that three point six or was that five? I think it was about five. Um, because Shearer broke it as well when he went to Newcastle for fifteen million a few years later. He broke it again. Mm. Um, but yeah, well, because Blackburn were the first sort of team to inverted commas, by the league, weren't they? And that was like, people weren't happy about that. Um, right. Whereas now, if, unless you're Leicester City, it's the only way to win the league, isn't it, is to buy it. So Shearer, just checked it, Shearer to Blackburn was actually 3.6 million. Yeah, if like, if like social media had been around then, it'd be, yeah, the game's gone, isn't it? The game's <laughs> gone, it's broken. Blackburn are buying the league. They've got, the, they've got Shearer and Stuart Ripley and Tim Sherwood. They've essentially bought the league, <laughs> haven't they? Um, like, like I say, if you, again, looking at Ferguson's autobiography, he, um, yeah, he, he said he rated David Hurst above Shearer. Uh, they bid four million for him, which uh, Trevor Francis turned down. And you know, if you've heard David Hurst in an interview, he, he's absolutely, you know, you can still, you can tell, he's still, he's still bitter about it. And yeah, I think from his point of view, I think a real shame because David Hurst was a big drinker as well. And obviously injuries kind of um, put, you know, ended his career pretty early. You know, he was 
wasn't that good at Wednesday for the last few years, ended up retiring at Southampton 30 or 31 years of old. But I imagine had he gone to Manchester United, Ferguson would have just kind of like slapped him into it. Look, you've got five years, get your head down. Yeah, he's away for five years and just go for it. Um, but there we go. There we go. Yeah, I mean, that, that, yeah. And I, I, I often wonder if someone like Letitia, if he'd have gone to like someone like Man U, would they have sorted him out? I mean, so what was like, there to sort clean. out? I mean, in the mid 90s, Letitia was just, he was ripping up the Premier League, as the kids say. He, he was box office. Wasn't he? <laughs> he was. Um, I'm not sure what box office that would be, um, because I feel like I feel like we need a little bit of Manchester United content. <laughs> um, I did look Manchester United. I found this really surprising. Manchester United's ten biggest signings ever in terms of money. Eight of them still play for Manchester United. Damn. The only two that don't are Lukaku and Angel Di Maria. Okay. But there is a load of players at Man U, like Fred and Aaron Wambasaka, who like they played like 30, 40 million for. And you're like, what? <laughs> Who's managed this? <laughs> like Harry, wasn't Harry Maguire was like 80 million or something? It's like Was he 80 million? He was something loony. I know he's like the most expensive defender in the world, I think, Harry Maguire. Uh but you're like, well. Um, yeah, 80 million pounds. You've got to Wow, wow, wow. Yeah, and he's... Um... And he's bang average. Um, but yeah, like Fred, Fred was something like 45 million that paid for him. <laughs> Who's controlling this? Um, I still find it weird. I still find it, I, I've, And I've got a cousin who... Sorry, a nephew who's about eight who falls into this category. Man, even though Man U are crap, and they have been for a number of years, all the kids, or not all, but loads of kids still support them, don't they? It's such a strong brand. My yeah, um, old nephew supports Manchester United. And I mean, even in the 80s, when we were growing up and they weren't that good, I no. mean, they still had reasonable, they still have reasonable support in Kent, for example. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I think they've always, they've always had, yeah, I mean, they've always been the biggest club in England, haven't they, by a mile? Yeah. Yeah, and it's like, uh, you'd think with them being no good for the last few years, that that sort of would, would start to fade away, certainly amongst the younger generation. But mm. now it seems like people still want to, people still want to be Fred. And they are Tomine. What can we say? Well, oh, so today, <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's time to wrap up. What, what do we think? I mean, I'm Manchester United, the most interesting club. I feel like this has been the most interesting podcast. I, I think it's been an absolute beauty. But that, yeah, that's a separate topic. Yeah, but but then you know Manchester United have induced this <laughs> talk about prosthetic penises in us. No, not prosthetic penises. Induced in us the talk about prosthetic penises. Let me rephrase yeah. quickly. Um, <laughs> Although, yes. Yeah. Although part of me thinks I mean, we could have been talking about any club in the world for the last forty-five minutes. I mean, Leeds have Cantona playing for them. Uh, I mean, I uh, I mean, this connection, though, I mean, we've had talks about Ryan Giggs and his brother's wife had talked about George Best rating uh, women he's cheating on his wife with out of 10. We've had um, Cantona's prosthetic feet. I mean, th- these are all Manchester United legends, icons. So, you know what I mean? I think, I think, I'm, I think they're the most interesting club so far. I think they've got the, uh, I think they've got the title. Go for it. Go for yeah. it. Yeah, yeah I, I I could because I I'd put them top three, but obviously if you're sort of linear, top, that's fine by me. 
I mean, I think any, apologies anyone, to Leicester City, but um, Kim Jong Un as well. I mean, yeah, I, fair I, point, fair point. That yeah. that pushed it over the top. Kim Jong Un versus Engelbert Humperdinck. No, no, yeah, no, referee stops the fight in the first round for that one. <laughs> yeah. Well, what fun. a great fight it would be. Uh, <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure, and I am looking forward to Newcastle United next week. Uh, thank you very much, and see you next week. Thank you.